last words are really important. So in 1983, a guy by the name of Jim Valvano, better known as Jimmy V, led NC State to a historic upset national championship college basketball over uh, defeating Houston in this crazy putback at the buzzer, one of the most historic, memorable moments in college basketball history. But Jimmy V is better known for the speech that he gave 10 years later, the 1993 ESPY Awards, when he courageously stood up on stage deep into a fight with cancer. And he mustered up enough strength to inspire us, to make us laugh, to make us cry. At one point, they flashed the 30 seconds left. Jimmy V land the plane light, and he laughed at it, and he did another five minutes. It's a real Ethan move, if you ask me. <laughs> Jimmy V was giving us his last words. He was reminding us to, to live every day to the fullest, to think every day to laugh every day, to be moved to tears every day. But most importantly, Jimmy V was announcing the start of the Jimmy V Foundation for Cancer Research. Uh, and knowing full well that it wasn't going to save his life, but that it would save other people's lives. Uh, and with an immense amount of, of courage, his speech lives on today. The line that, that, that lives on and on, don't give up, don't ever give up, because last words matter. About a month later, Jimmy V passed away, but his legacy lives on to date. The, his foundation has brought in over $300 million to fight back against this terrible disease that affects all of us in our own ways. Last words matter because when time is running short, we say what matters most. I think about King David, the man after God's own heart, who writes in Psalm 37, I once was young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Or, or of course, most importantly, Jesus on the cross, who as the Roman soldiers were putting nails through his hands, gave us a North Star for what it means to be human as he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then most importantly, as he hung on the cross, shouldering the weight of my sin and yours with his final breath, his last words, he says, it is finished. Last words matter. Well, 2 Timothy are Paul's last words. This letter is the, the last work that we have from Paul. If you know anything uh, about Paul, he was um, this zealous guy who was actually in the beginning trying to stop the movement of the church. Then Jesus got a hold of his life, radically transformed him, and he becomes this church planner extraordinaire. So like he would go to a, a city called Philippi and plant a church there and raise up leaders. And then he would write letters to them, wrote a letter to them that we call Philippians in your New Testament. Uh, and then he'd go to Ephesus and he'd plant a church there and build it up. And then he wrote a letter to them that we call Ephesians, we still have today. Along the way, he discipled up a lot of people, but primarily this man named Timothy, who was like his protege, his guy. In fact, Timothy became the pastor of that church in Ephesus. And so Paul is writing to Timothy 
while he's in prison in Rome, and it looks bleak. Paul knows that his time is running short, and he was correct. He was about to get killed for his faith. And so 2 Timothy are Paul's last words, and so here's my one request. Don't take his words lightly. Hey, all of my commentary and all of my ideas surrounding it, take it as lightly as you want. And think about it and pray through it and test it. But Paul's words, man, what a gift that we can sit here 2,000 years later and read these words that he wrote to Timothy and also is writing to all of us as we all try to follow Jesus today. So for the first installment, 2 Timothy, I titled this sermon, Fan the Flame. Fan the Flame, let's go for it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. The start feels like a good place to start, doesn't it? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if I'm Paul's editor, I'm going, hey, Paul, the first sentence is really important. Maybe let's not say Christ Jesus twice in the first 20 words. To which I'd imagine Paul would say, absolutely not. It stays. And here's what I love about Paul. Like, if I'm writing this letter to Timothy, I'm going, Timothy, I'm in prison again. Can you believe it? Oh, the food's terrible. The view's horrible. I think my time's running out. Pray for me. Paul doesn't do any of that. <laughs> Paul had a one-track mind, Christ Jesus. Jesus is all that matters. Tim Paul understood that this whole church planning thing was never about him. It was always about Jesus. It was going to move on long past him. In fact, he's writing this letter to make sure of it. And so he writes his last words to his disciple Timothy and he starts with Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Verse two, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. First, I love that Paul starts with calling Timothy my dear son. We are on this planet to raise up the next generation, to be fruitful and multiply, as it says on the first page of the Bible, and biological kids, raising up biological kids, this is, of course, the most practical way to do that, but it's not the only way to do that. Uh, as far as we know, Paul didn't have any biological kids, and yet he would say, yeah, but I do have a son, his name's Timothy. Uh, I'm investing all of my time into discipling and raising up the next generation. And so he goes, Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace. Now, if you start turning to the left in your Bible and look at the beginning of all of Paul's letters, you'll realize that he starts every single one of them with two words, grace, peace, grace, peace. By the end of his life, he added mercy in there, which I love. But grace and peace seem to be the anthem of Paul's life. I, when I read Paul, I, I feel like grace and peace came to him almost as naturally as breathing. It's like every inhale, he was breathing in God's grace. Go read his, his writings. He just talks all the time uh, about what Jesus did for him, the amazing grace that he's received. Paul had a past. Like if you are in here and you're like, yeah, but I had a past, go study Paul's past. It's pretty bad. 
right? But, but he just understood that what Jesus did for him, like he says in 2 Corinthians 5, when he took him who knew no sin to be sin so that we may become the righteousness of Christ, he gets to breathe in God's grace with every breath. And then to me, the peace is the exhale. The response to that amazing grace is to, to be a non-anxious presence in every room that we walk into. Grace, peace. It's a prayer practice that I do all the time when I'm starting to, to feel anxious. I'll, start, I'll stop and I'll take five deep breaths and on the inhale, grace. And on the exhale, peace. On the inhale, grace. Exhale, peace. I was on a flight on Friday night and uh, I had the, the aisle seat in the last row. How many know that's the one right by the bathroom? <laughs> a turbulent flight, fastened seatbelt sign on the entire flight. But apparently that's more of just a suggestion for people these days, right? Because there was a line five deep, the entire flight of people lined up right by me to use the restroom as I'm trying to type out this sermon, you know, like this, and it's turbulent. So they're standing right by me, and then it's like the turbulence hits and they go, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I'm sorry. And like an hour in, I wanted to just take my AirPods out and be like, everybody stop apologizing to me. Okay, it's fine, okay, we're good. But maybe like also don't line up, just stay in your seat until, I'm, I don't know, that's a tangent, right? But I'm going, I'm trying to write this sermon about grace and peace. I see the verse, I go, oh yeah, oh yeah, silly. Grace, peace. Think about everything God's done for me. I can give peace to the world. Thank you, God, for your grace. I can be a non-anxious presence today. Grace and peace. Try it this week. Let's keep going. Verse three. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. That word constantly has been sticking out to me constantly this week. Hey, I can say with authority oftentimes, hey, I've been praying for you. But I usually can't say I've been constantly praying for you, at least not yet. That's a place I want to get to, where I can with authority and integrity say I've been constantly praying for you, recalling your tears. I remember, or I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Verse five, I am reminded of your sincere faith which, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Hey, never underestimate the power of a praying mother or a praying grandmother. I'm lucky enough to have both. Timothy was lucky enough to have both. To the mothers and the grandmothers in this room, never stop praying for your kids. Watching online, ladies that got behind bars, never stop praying for your kids. Never stop pointing them towards Jesus. Hey, even when it doesn't feel like it's working, it's doing way more than you'll ever know. I love that Paul uses some of his last words to shout out Timothy's mother and grandmother, to celebrate them. I think that's on purpose. Now, the first five verses, 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 5, are like, Paul catching up with Timothy. You know when you see someone you haven't seen in a long time and you're just like, tell me everything. What's going on? How are you? 
right? There's this time where you, you have to go back and forth a little bit. But then there's always this moment where you take a breath and it's like, all right, now let's get into it. Verse six is where I feel that breath, where Paul takes that breath after his greeting and he goes, now I got some words for you. Paul comes out the gate sprinting. These first two verses, verse six and seven, I'm telling you, if we can just get these two verses into our spirit this week, it will change everything. Paul says this, verse six, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So much to unpack there. First, what does Paul mean by the gift of God? Well, turn in the left in your Bibles to Acts chapter two. We just did a seven-week series called We the Church where we walked through the book of Acts and spent a lot of time in Acts 2, verse 38. If you remember, this is where Peter stood up and gave his first sermon and 3,000 people got saved, which I always read and I'm like, my first sermon was so bad. Peter got 3,000. Whatever, not bitter. <laughs> Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then here it is. And you will receive the gift of the what? The Holy Spirit. So turn back to 2 Timothy. What's the gift that Paul is talking about? It's the Holy Spirit. Here's the truth. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you go, I'm done building my kingdom, I'm ready to build your kingdom. The Holy Spirit comes alive within you. To borrow Paul's language from 1 Corinthians 6, our bodies become temples of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful truth, but that's only half of what Paul's saying in verse six, isn't it? He goes, I want you to fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you think about it like this, a match has so much potential, so much potential, but if it just remains right here, doesn't do a whole lot. Like in order for this to, to step into the full potential that it does have, like we need to actually fan this into flame. And I feel like the beautiful reality is that as Christians, we all have the spirit of God living within us. The tragic reality is that for many Christians, it just remains that. And what Paul is saying is, Timothy, life is too hard to just let it be a spark. You gotta fan that thing into a flame. You gotta fan that thing into a wildfire. Like Timothy had his work cut out for him, man. Ephesus was a wild city <laughs> with a whole lot of pagan worship and people telling him he was too young and whole bunch of people trying to, to, to take the through, like, like take a power, make a power move and, and, and get him out of there. And then all this false teaching was coming up all over the place. Timothy had his work cut out for him. And so Paul goes, hey, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. It's like, um, imagine we're camping and uh, it, the sun's starting to go down. It's starting to get cold. Everyone's starting to get a little hangry. Right, and we go, okay, now it's time to make some food. And so Ryan, we're, like, we're gonna go get the food ready over here. Ryan, why don't you build a fire so that we can stay warm and cook this food? And I go, you know what, guys? No problem. 
Huh? Check it out. Everyone gather around. Who wants s'mores? Check it out, I made fire. We're gonna be warm tonight, right? No, of course not. You gotta transfer that to the newspaper and then the, 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 the firewood and you gotta turn that into a fire because we're not meant to stay cold, hungry, and miserable. But we could actually experience a great night camping. Now, transition that into the, the, the spiritual. I just have a sense that as Christians, so many of us walk around cold, hungry, and miserable because we don't know how to fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So today, I just wanna give you three easy ways that you can do that. But first, we gotta go to verse seven because verse seven tells us what happens when we do fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's read together. For the Spirit God gave us, get this, does not make us timid. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Did you know that? When you actually fan it into flame and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you don't have to walk around afraid all the time. You can actually walk around with power, love, and self-discipline. And notice, that's not a command. That's not like, like Philippians 4 where he goes, rejoice. I'll say it again, rejoice. Or in other words, I know you don't feel like rejoicing right now, but rejoice, let's go. It's not a command, it's a fact. Hey, you have been given the spirit of God, which means you don't have the spirit of fear. You aren't timid. You have power, love, and a sound mind. You just have to start acting like it and you have to start believing it, and you have to start fanning it into flame so that you can experience it. Power, meaning uh, when you feel like God's calling you to do something and you go, I don't know, I'm gonna do that. God actually goes, that's perfect, because this is going to be my power working through you. Love, because let's be real, for, for me, so often when I start to feel anxious and afraid, it's because I'm trying to earn love again. I'm trying to do enough to convince God that I'm worthy of love, convince others that I'm worthy of love. Paul goes, no, 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 you've been given the spirit of love. In other words, you're already loved. Right here, right now, just as you are, ladies that got behind bars, you're already loved. Right here and, and right now, it's just that you have to learn how to believe that the good news really is that good, you've been given a spirit of power, of love. And then he says self-discipline. Now the Greek word for self-discipline, let's put that up on the screen. Sophronismos, everyone say sophronismos. You Greek scholars, let's go. This is the only place it's ever used in the New Testament. It means this, an admonishing or calling to soundness of mind, to moderation and self-control. So you can see why NIV went with self-discipline, right? But it's also, some of you may have heard this verse in the New King James Version, which also works. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And I love this phrase, a sound mind. How different is that <laughs> from the, the day and age that we live in? We're actually called as followers of Jesus to walk around with a sound mind. Let's talk about that for a second. What, what does a sound mind look like? I was on the phone with, with 
Sean Johnson, who's preaching uh, 2 Timothy 1 in, in Denver right now. And, and we were chopping it up yesterday, like, okay, I know how to, ex- to explain power and love. How do we explain sound mind? And I remembered a story about uh, one of my favorite pastors, a guy named John Ortberg. And several years ago, John went through a, a really, really difficult season. And he got a phone call from his mentor, a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. Dallas called John and said, John, checking in, how you doing? John said, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. And Dallas goes, under the circumstances? What are you doing under there? He goes, we're created to live under the shelter of the most high. You're a child of God. You don't live under the circumstances. That's what a sound mind looks like. See, because here's what the world says. You can have a sound mind. You just gotta make sure the circumstances are perfect. Make sure nobody's mad with you. Make sure everybody's healthy. Make sure work is going well and leading to that promotion. Make sure you're sleeping well. Make sure you're eating well. Did you get it? Are all the plates spinning? Okay, sound is the mind. And okay, every once in a while, for like two minutes. Here's the bad news. Circumstances never stop. Here's the really good news. We don't have to live under them. Circumstances are always going to, to come our way, but as, as, as followers of Jesus, Paul is reminding us that we don't have to live under the circumstances. We can live under the shelter of the most high. That's how you experience a sound mind. On Tuesday morning, I was at the coffee shop working on this sermon, and it was one of those mornings where there was like a thousand different things coming my direction. I've noticed as I get older, life gets more complicated. Am I preaching to anyone? (laughs) Oh, man. Phenomenal. Um, So many things coming my way, some bad, some okay. Lots of things that were just good and like good things vying for my attention. Jim Collins tells us in Good to Great that the greatest enemy of great are good things that steal our attention from the, the things that we're on this earth to do. And so all these good opportunities come your way and then you spend the entire week chasing after things that aren't, the great thing that God has for you. And so I'm having one of those mornings and I'm sitting there and I get to to verse six and verse seven. And I have one of those moments where I realize, oh, I just need to put all of this down because I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to do something in my life. And I, I put my headphones in and I just start praying and then the praying turns into crying. And then it turns into one of those moments where the baristas are looking at me like, are we good? Are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. Just fanning into flame over here. But it was one of those moments where I just realized I'm so tired of it just being a little spark. Like I'm tired of it just being a little spark that, that if the worship team plays just the right song at just the right time, we'll get a, a little bit of movement and then it goes away. Holy Spirit, would you fan into flame this gift that you have given me? Would it consume 
me? Would it burn away all of the good to help me focus on the great? I'm just done with the, the, the moderation. I want the entire thing, Holy Spirit, fan it into flame. That's the invitation that's on the table for all of us as followers of Jesus, and that's the way to power love in a sound mind. Now, three ways to do that with the rest of our time that we have. I'm gonna tell you these three ways, but first, I gotta give you a warning that when I say these three, some of you are gonna be like, oh, thank you, that's what I needed, got it. You're gonna be, you're gonna be hit the ground running. Others of you are gonna roll your eyes because you're gonna go, really? I've heard that one before. Come on, pastor, give me something new. Because here's the deal. These three things I'm going to tell you, again, they really do work, but you gotta work them, and it's not easy. And it's human nature that when something's difficult, we just start looking for like the next new thing, the hack. Give me something better. It's like, have you ever tried to get into shape and then you order a bunch of gym equipment and you wait four to six weeks for it to show up and then you use it twice? And then a couple weeks go by and you go, man, I really do need to get in shape. But instead of going back and using the equipment, you immediately go, I bet you like version two has come out by now. Surely there's something better and if I just get that better equipment, like that was the problem. For me, um, I love to, to write and writing is uh, just such an incredible thing until it's not. <laughs> There's times when you're writing where you just hit a wall and it's brutal. And, and I've noticed a pattern in my life. Two years ago, about once a year, I, I hit that wall. Two years ago, I go, I know what I need. I need a desktop computer. Because then like, I'll take my laptop to the coffee shop and then I'll bring it home to edit. That's, that's what's missing. That'll set me free. <laughs> One year ago, it was just me being vulnerable, whatever, authenticity. One year ago, it was the iPad with that pencil. You know, I thought, okay, if I just have my laptop at the coffee shop, then I bring it home to edit on the desktop and then I take the iPad out into nature and then I can be in nature and I can, I can be inspired there. So I order it only to remember that my handwriting is absolutely terrible, and so I can't even read what I'm writing to begin with. Like, our technology is getting so ridiculous and out of control, and yet it still can't interpret my handwriting. That's how bad it is. Okay, here's the secret. If you wanna get good at writing, you write. Write that down. Be a good start, step one. If you, wanted to, if you wanna get in good shape, eat well and work out. And if you want to walk around not with a spirit of fear, but with power, love, and a sound mind, cultivate a prayer life. Become a student of scripture and surround yourself with people who will push you towards Jesus. It works, I promise, but you gotta work it. Prayer, Bible, and people. These three things, how do you fan the flame? Prayer, Bible, people. I wanna give you just a, a short word on each, um, but for those of you who, who feel like the Lord's speaking to you right now and it's time for you to take a deeper dive, we put together a resource that's going to dive into all three of these uh, in a 21-day Devo. So it spends a week on each of them. 
And, and you can get that. Of course, it's all for free. You just text yes to 30301. And we'll, we'll send you that and get you on your way for your next 21 days. You can work to allow the Spirit of God to fan into flame this gift that God has given you. But real quick, simple word, let's start with prayer. Prayer, simply talking to God. There's no wrong way to do it. Every moment you spend praying is time well spent. Prayer is the most underutilized weapon we have as Christians. God wants to talk with us. Spend time talking to him. Every time I talk about prayer, I like to, to give a different analogy or story or way to think about it. And the one that felt right this week is to talk about surfing. So here we go. Um, I was a pastor in California for five years and every Monday during those five years, my routine was to go to the same beach with my, my same friends and we would surf at the same spot every single Monday. And for the first few weeks, I found myself getting really frustrated because I'd be out there with them putting in like three times as much energy and effort as them, but I wouldn't be catching the waves. And they would just like paddle a couple of times and they'd, they'd have it. And I, I was just like, what, what, is the, what is going on? And finally, one of my, my buddies explained it to me. He goes, all right, here's the deal. Do you see that house on the shore? There's this big white house. He goes, your job is to align yourself with that house because that house is where the, the wave breaks the best. And if you can get in front of that house, you'll be able to catch the wave. And I kind of laughed at first, like whatever, you know, a wave is a wave is a wave. But then you start to pay attention and you realize that when you're just in the ocean, you start to drift. You don't notice it. You don't do it intentionally, but the current pulls you as you're just talking with your buddies. And then you look back and the house that you're supposed to be in front of is like 50 yards up shore. And when you start to realize it, you go, oh, okay, I gotta, I gotta swim back. You surf for a bit and you realize that you've drifted again. Living on a fallen world, like we all do, is like being in the ocean. You will drift. You may not notice it. You may not be intentionally doing anything to cause the drift. But like, even if you're not buying into the narrative of our age, you're still secondhand smoking it. It's like being in a restaurant in the 1940s. When I was, I remember, I'm just old enough to remember uh, being asked smoking or non-smoking when you got to a restaurant. And I was like five and I'd be like, smoke travels, does it really matter? We drift, we drift, we drift. Prayer for me is lots of things. One of the things prayer is, is a way for me to get my eyes back on the one who doesn't drift. The house on shore, King Jesus, who's on his throne, who will be on his throne tomorrow and a hundred years from now and a thousand years from now. The, the one who, who has built his house on a firm foundation. And every time I pray, it's like looking back to shore and realizing, oh, I've drifted. I didn't mean to. Sometimes, sometimes it's my fault. Sometimes it's not. But okay, now it's time to align. It's time to realign myself with Jesus. Hey, that's why oftentimes when you just start praying about something you've been worried about, you realize how silly it is. It's why sometimes you'll have a falling out with somebody and you'll be in your car 
I'll be in my car. <laughs> I gotta put this on you guys. Like rehearsing what I'm gonna say, you know? How dare they? Oh man, next time they say that, I'm gonna say this. And then you start praying about it and you realize, oh, I've drifted. I've let anger and bitterness drift. Who cares? It's silly. They're a person to be loved, an imperfect person just like me. And I can actually uh, approach that conversation with power and with love, enough love to own up to my end and hold space for theirs. That's what it looks like to operate with a sound mind. When we start to pray, God will begin to fan into flame the gift that he has given us and we'll be able to, to realign ourselves with the one who created us. People, uh, I would not be where I am today doing what I am today without people in my life. This is the way God designed it. The Christian walk was never meant to be done on our own. We need to be surrounded by like-minded people. Think about Jesus. Matthew four, he goes out into the wilderness before his ministry. Hey, he prays. When Satan comes after him, he recites scripture, are two things. And then the third, when he gets back to start his ministry, the first thing he does is he gathers people around him. Peter, come on. Andrew, come on. James, John, let's go. Not because Jesus needed them, but because he knew that we needed each other. And so he sets an example and he goes, you surround yourself with like-minded people. Hey, don't miss next week. We're launching summer groups. Get in a group this summer. Get people in your life. Life's too hard to not have people praying for you, encouraging you, sending you a group text. Hey, I'm praying for that meeting. Hey, I'm praying for that test. Get in a group next week. I'm telling you, people matter. And then lastly is scripture, the Bible. You take nothing else from this sermon. I hope you drive home going, I think Brian's telling us to read the Bible. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> It'll fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Read scripture. Here's, here's just a simple exercise. Memorize scripture. That is a lost art today. Like you guys, you remember memorizing phone numbers? Some of us, like when I was a kid, I had to memorize like 10 to 15 phone numbers. Cause if I wanted to call my friend to, to meet up after school or whatever, I had to get our landline and dial the number. I've probably called Ethan a thousand times over the years. Couldn't tell you his phone number. I don't know it. My phone memorized it for me along with so many different routes to so many different places and every fun fact you could ever need. My phone's got me covered. And as far as function goes, what an amazing gift. Okay, but memorizing scripture is not just about function, it's about formation. And I'm worried that with uh, throwing, throwing out all of the need for memorization with everything else, we've also stopped memorizing Bible verses. Hey, when you take time to actually memorize scripture, it sinks from your head into your heart and becomes a part of who you are. Get back to memorizing scripture. It will fan into flame this gift that God has given us. Start with 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, 
and a sound mind. You carry that with you this week, you watch. You'll get that email from your boss, hey, we need to talk. You know that email? There's like nervousness happening right now. The email comes in, you start to get scared, and then you realize, wait a second, I wasn't given a spirit of fear. Power, love, and a sound mind, I can do this. I can walk into this meeting. You're waiting from that phone call from the doctor. You're starting to get anxious. Oh wait, but the, the, the spirit of God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind, I got this. That difficult conversation you've been putting off. Been too scared to have, but I haven't been given a spirit of fear, but love and a sound mind. You watch as you memorize scripture, it starts to come up during the week when you need it the most. This is Jesus in the wilderness fighting back against Satan. How? With scripture that he had memorized. Be like Jesus. Memorize scripture. And so just to practice what we preach as we end, I wanna get back, pick up in verse eight. I just wanna read 2 Timothy 1 to you guys and just listen let the word of God, sharper than any double-edged sword, speak to you today. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There's that word power again. Paul's going, not by my power, by the power of God. He has saved us and called us Hey, we're not just here to live saved. We're here to live called, on purpose, on mission, to make heaven more crowded. Paul says he has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, thank God for that, but because of, of his own purpose and grace. It's that word grace again. I just picture Paul taking an inhale. Grace, grace, grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Wild mystery, we'll talk about that some other time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death. Did you catch it? Destroyed death. I love an alliteration as much as the next person. That's more than just a good alliteration. That's a truth. That's a firm foundation that can be our footing in this ever-changing, difficult world. Jesus has destroyed death. The passing of a loved one is a terribly sad moment. It's time to grieve. It's time to remember. It's time to cry. It's time to, 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 to celebrate a life well-lived. It's also a time to remember that Jesus went to the cross on Friday, but he didn't stay there. That on Sunday, he walked out of the tomb to remind us that there's a bigger story happening here. That death is not the end of the story because Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. I love Paul, he goes, don't, don't cry for me. 
It's not a cause for shame, I'm fine, who cares? Let's just point people back to Jesus. This is not a cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Paul goes, there's going to be a whole bunch of people trying to lead people astray. Just keep pointing people back to Jesus, back to Jesus, back to Jesus. This message that you've heard from me, this sound teaching, it's about the gospel. It's about the grace of God and the peace that we can show to the world with faith and love in Christ Jesus. And then finally, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you fan into flame the work that God wants to do in your life that you may that you may guard this message and be a light to this world amen Would you guys stand to your feet one of the most practical ways to fan the flame is to sing is to worship is to get our eyes off of ourselves and get them onto Jesus and so we're about to sing a song called all hail king jesus this is an exercise. And as we've all drifted in our own ways, looking back to shore, looking back to our, our standard, looking back to Jesus on the throne and going, hey, my circumstances, they'll come and go. I'm not called to live under those circumstances though. I'm called to live under the shelter of the Most High. So I'm just gonna fix my eyes on King Jesus and spend all of the energy and effort that I have worshiping my King. And so Father God, as we pray and as we sing, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would fan into flame this gift that you have began in all of us. Father, to the one whose faith feels stagnant right now, uh, I pray that you would turn the spark into a wildfire. Lord, that it would burn so brightly. Hey, if this is you, just receive this, that it would burn away all of the bitterness that it would burn away all of the resentment, that it would burn away all of the fear, and all that would be left is a, a sound mind of love and power, not the spirit of fear, but a spirit of love. And so Holy Spirit, do now what only you can do. Fan into flame this gift that you have given us and teach us as a church how to proclaim once again and for as long as we live the truth that's been true since the beginning of time, that Jesus is on the throne. We lift one voice to say, all hail King Jesus in your name.